In this episode, child and youth care students and grads discuss grief and loss in their personal lives and in the lives of children and youth in care. The discussion is heart-wrenching, hopeful, and not without humor. I don't know where to start. Like, it's kind of... So, kids. Kiddos. (laughs) I think kids grieve a lot more than, like, when they are involved in any kind of, like, um, like, any kind of in-care situation. Like, if a child is not living with um, their caregivers and, or they've been removed by the system for any reason. Um, I think that we sometimes forget about all of the grief pieces. Um, and then like we're sitting in a group home and there's a kid out on a visit. And when they come home, they have a meltdown of some kind because they're coming home from the visit and we're seeing like, um, they're having a hard time because they said goodbye to their parent, but they are like intensely grieving like that loss. And now they have to go to bed without somebody kissing them goodnight. And I think that it's important that we are recognizing more the, the like intense grief that comes with that, especially like kids who um, have PGO status um, who aren't going to likely go back to their um, biological families or who they lived with before they were in care. Um, And that I've never worked with a kid in care where somebody has been actively addressing their loss Um, and where somebody's like getting them support because of like the loss of their family and their new reality um, as a result. And like we send kids to counseling all the time, but are we like doing active grief work with them at home? Not right now. I don't know how to like do grief work because I don't think that I've learned enough about it and I don't really I still feel like I guess discomfort within it because I don't know how to approach it or I don't want to say the wrong thing or I don't yeah I just like overanalyze it so much in my head that I don't know how to approach it and like grief is so like um complex that like you can't be like, this is how I dealt with my grief. So this is how we're going to do yours. You know, like, I feel mm-hmm. I'm real with Megan, like, I'm so unprepared that like, I'm like, what are you like, what, what can I say to you to like, make it better, you know, in a way. But because I feel like in the program, we don't talk about grief and loss as much as we should. Because mm-hmm. we, we kids grieve and kids lose, and we grieve and we lose so much. I also think it's important to like be comfortable with like sitting with the bad feeling with them and and not like pushing them to feel better because I know that I struggle with that because I always want to like make people feel better and make them be happy and I need to like learn how to be comfortable sitting in the discomfort with them instead of trying to like push it off and like just help them be happy again because then like do you ever really process it and like learn to live with it if you don't sit with it. Yeah, I was going to say sometimes it's not about like, what should I say or what should I do? But it, it can be more about like just being with that person and present in the moment. I've worked with like kids in care who, you know, they would have family visits, exactly what Parker was explaining. And when they got home, you would see all these behaviors. And I remember working with this one kid and it was identified like that was his pattern. And he was just a little guy, like he was young. 
And I know every time he came home, even though I'm, you know, I'm not trained in grief and loss activities or anything like that, obviously. Um, but I know when he came home, he would need the support. Like he would need one-on-one -on -one time, whether that's just I'm sitting in his room playing Legos with him, or sometimes we'd like cuddle up on, on the bed and read a book, you know, just out loud or whatever it might be. Um, and we used to do some like activities. Uh, I don't know if they're like real legit grief and loss activities, but he seemed to enjoy them. We used to like blow up balloons and write sort of the sad feelings he was having and release them in the sky and things like that. And I don't know. He j I just know, knew that when he came home, he was going to need something. And if it was in the mm -hmm. afternoon, we would maybe go out and do something to release some of that. Or if it was at nighttime, we would do something in the house or whatever it might be. Well, like one of those activities of this that like, they're like, they're so authentic to that kid, right? Like you're like, he needs something. So let's just give him something to do. And they're, you know, makes it more personable and more relational that way, I think. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important that the child knows that they can come to you no matter what. You're not going to turn them away, tell them like, let's not talk about this, it's too sensitive. Like when I was working in the group home in second year, some of the staff didn't want them to talk about their caregivers at all because the caregivers did bad things. But the child was grieving the loss of their parent or caregiver mm -hmm. and they couldn't talk about it. So they just had to bury it down deep and children need to be talking about it if they want to talk. They do, they tell us to not bring it up because it'll make them sad or it'll trigger their emotions. And like, I had a foster parent once who, like, there was a kid in her care whose parent died and the foster parent was like, well, she never talks about her parent with me. And I'm like, because you don't ask her about her. Like, it, there's safety in that. And we um, are taught sometimes to avoid making them upset but like they're already upset. Like the worst has happened to them. They've been taken from their homes and they don't think that um, a lot of the things we say can make their life worse. I think that sometimes it can um, trigger something in the moment, but I don't think that we can make their situation worse by doing our best to help um, and to give them that space to be open about their grief and their feelings of loss. Yeah, I think giving like space and permission is super important like I feel like as adults and kids too like you just you don't want to say things sometimes like you know when people tell you how are you doing your automatic response is always I'm good even mm -hmm. though you might be like really shitty it's like you need permission for, from somebody to start opening up about how you're feeling like if somebody mm -hmm. just came I know when I was a kid if somebody came up to me and said like after my dad died and said to me, do you want to talk about that? How do you feel about that? I probably really would have said yes. But instead people ask you, how are you? You know? Mm -hmm. So I think just like giving the permission is important too, because I feel like children don't really know how to say it. They don't know how to say it themselves. And that's why you see it come out, come out in behavior and all kinds of things. And it's our job to interpret that. Like, okay, well, there's something going on here. I should approach this. Something that's really cool that I um, had kind of picked up um, along the way in like seminars and trainings and stuff that I've done um, is to, I think this was a Dr. Alan Wolfelt um, thing that was uh, ask them about their love stories mm -hmm. and that like, it could be a really 
nice way to bring up grief and to bring up their loved one by like asking a kid, Hey, like, I know that you're feeling really stressed right now about like coming home from seeing your mom. Like, do you want to tell me a story about how much you love your mom or a time when you felt really loved by your mom? Um, and just like asking them to tell you a love story or to write a love story. And I think that that really like helps them focus on, um, on their loss and their grief without it being just an empty, do you want to talk about your, your loved one who died? Do you want to talk about it? Or you can, you can talk about it. Like having some prompts is really helpful sometimes. There's lots of little strategies we can do. Candle lighting is a big one. Um, I know that group homes have a lot of rules around fire, which is a good thing, but um, with supervision, like making a candle together, or, like doing Mod Podge on the outside of like a a candle hold or like a glass candle. We get them from um, for hospice from like the Dollar Tree and they're just glass candles um, or like a holder with a candle already in it. And we just do like Mod Podge around the side and it becomes like a special thing. And then when they miss their loved one, they can with the staff there with them light the candle, they can play a song or they can just have it lit while they're watching TV together or something. Um, and that like represents, like we can talk about how the fire kind of represents their life and represents like that they're still here with you in a way, um, things like that. And then like making memory boxes, like Megan was mentioning, that was a thing that we've done at Hospice Attend um, is just getting a wooden box again from like the Dollar Tree and decorate it. Um, markers work really well on that wood um, and also like paint and glit, everything and then they can keep special things in there like letters or little transition objects like do, do you know what I mean when I say transition object does that make sense it's like uh, yeah. can you explain it sorry yeah <laughs> it's like something that you would take from one place to another place to help you transition. So for example, when my therapist moved offices, I was devastated that that was going to be happening because it was a space I had been in for a long time. Like I think that I was seeing her for like five years before we moved offices and it was hard for me. And she gave me a pen that had the old office address on it. And so I had that pen that had the old address on it. And then I would go to the new office and I always still like have that pen at home. And it like makes me feel a little bit connected and it helps me when I miss my therapist. Like there's times when I'm struggling a lot and I don't know if any of y'all are in therapy, but there's times when I'm having a hard day and the only person I want to talk to is my psychologist. And so it, it helps sometimes to have things like a pen from the office or whatever. And I think that's why sometimes kids bring a lot of belongings home from like back to the group home when they go on visits and we get all mad. And they're like, why is mom sending all these toys? We don't have space for all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But like both of them want to transition object, right? If the kid is bringing stuff from home to the group home, um, I think they're showing a lot of like wanting to, to find some way to stay connected to the parents or the caregivers. Um, so just facilitating that can be really good. Um, I've had times where like a kiddo was having a hard time going to school. So there was a little Lego character that was representative of um, the caregiver and then they took the Lego to school in their pocket. And so that was a, a helpful thing. So yeah, like those kinds of, of smaller activities can be really helpful for kids because they're simple for us to do and are quite open-ended where it can kind of be whatever and you all know how to do art with kids that those can be can be supportive and you can find way, your own ways to modify based on what you need i remember telling kids that we that we can be like family for them too 
and that that was something that I think could be done more tactfully in explaining that like group home staff and, and the kids at the, at the group home can be family-like, but I think how we explain that can be different because that I could see could really traumatize a kid in a way if we're mm -hmm. trying to replace their family with us or trying to explain um, like I think big open co candid conversations can happen about the difference between birth family and chosen family and people you love with your heart and like it, it's um yeah I think we we should work towards being really cautious about how we define family with kids even like I'm always like cautious like calling it home mm -hmm. like oh when are you gonna be home like mm not necessarily like because like, if, if they call it home I call it home right like so I'm really mm -hmm. I make sure that they're I'm like oh when are you coming back they're like oh I'll be home then then I can I know I am okay to call it home but because I don't want to replace their feeling of like like you said Parker like family right because family kind of goes with home so I think something else to not do is to like there's definitely time and place for distractions sometimes we need to just be pulled out of um, our own thoughts for a little bit to be able to regulate and um, I think we run to distraction as a first method of trying to help someone feel better is to keep their mind off it. And um, sometimes we need to just, when they come home and they're really upset about how their visit went, sometimes we just need to sit on the couch and say, yeah, that really sucks. Let's yell about it. People used to say to me like, oh, she's in a better place now, or she's in heaven, or this is where she is. And I don't think that's helpful at all because you have no idea where she is. And you don't know what this person's belief system is. So it's not fair to like tell a young person like, oh, your loved one is in heaven. What if they don't believe in heaven? Like that's just further confusing them even more. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's helpful at all. I also don't think it's helpful when people tell you it'll get better over time. People used to tell me that and I was like, fuck you, part of my <laughs> language. But <laughs> they um, make time as the, the healer. Time isn't the healer. Time facility like no. holds space for it but there's other things that need to happen for somebody to find healing or to find um meaning or understanding of a death is like time is is just there to hold space mm -hmm. or like grief is only like oh it's been two years you should be over it by now like, oh yeah they yeah. put like an expiration date mm -hmm. on it you're supposed to be better you will not be sad after this date yeah it's ridiculous yeah i'm still sad <laughs> it's been 12 years I'm I'm still real sad um I still go to the cemetery and bawl my eyes out and um I still have a lot of big briefy moments at home and um like I am cut off from the rest of my family too like that's my choice um but based on like my gender stuff and I have some contact with my um with my dad but not really anyone else in my family and so there's a lot of loss in that. I feel like my Baba would have been super supportive of my gender stuff. Um, and so that's a big grief too, is that she would be like part of my fan club. And I think when we're working with kids too, like they might see their loss in a similar way is that like, if I, well, we hear them at complaining about behavior, right? Like, well, my mom lets me stay up until whatever, and you make me go to bed at nine at this group home, and blah, blah, blah. like my parent would have done it better. And like, yeah, their parent probably would have done it better. And the system is oppressive. Um, and the kids are taken out of their homes for a lot of reasons that the system could have prevented if it chose to do different things. And so, yeah, your mom probably could parent you better than I am right now. Kids don't see that their parents have to be perfect, but having like dysfunction 
for I think a lot of kids feels a lot better than living in a group home. Yeah, because at, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether it's dif- dysfunctional or not. Like, it's their people. Mm-hmm. It's also familiar to them, right? And yeah. it's hard to lose that familiarity and that connectedness and that piece of your identity. I think it's also important to keep in mind behaviors. Grief isn't just crying, bawling all the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they can look perfectly fine, but they're hurting a lot. So you have to keep in mind, like, just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Yeah. You can even offer them to be like, hey, do you want to, like, cook a meal that, you're, that you would have had at home? Like, what kind of stuff did you eat at home? Like, what, do you want to have that again? Like, you, why don't you show me how to, how to cook that? Because you seem to really know. Or, like, let's bake some cookies that your mom would have baked at home. Like, the same type of thing. Or even getting a recipe from the parent. Like, that's a transition object, even in and of itself, that can be really powerful. So, like, the way that we, that we mourn, like, grief is the internal experience. Mourning is the external expression of the experience. And so, um, I think that, the, the ways that people like grieve and mourn definitely Mackenzie are, are so different and can look like a number of different things even if it's super positive mm-hmm. I think that kind of goes on like what I was saying earlier about like how society makes us think that we should like mourn and grieve you know like oh you know like they're gonna need they're gonna need ice cream tissues and to lay in bed for like a week and then you know like most things it should feel better by then you know but like in most cases like that's not the way it works I remember when I had like my first breakup I was like I was like I do not want to sit on the couch and just like cry (laughs) but then sometimes I did and I was just like all over the place I'm like why is it like this when it should be like this right so that Mm place in that like confusion even like farther deep down, which is like not helpful for grief and loss. On the myth that there's the stages of grief, like that's a myth. There's not stages. There's a number of different experiences, but they don't happen linear in a linear no. fashion. Um, and so we, I think even kids think that because they're, they're taught stuff. Like, I remember being taught that at school or hearing it at school somewhere and that that's what grief is like. And the grief's not like that at all. When I was eight years old, my dad died of suicide and my mom didn't want to talk about it at all. Like she wouldn't let me go to counseling. She wouldn't even let us mention his name after he died. So that took me a long time to process his death because I couldn't even talk about it. I was eight years old and couldn't even process what that meant. Like I still have the memory of him in, at the funeral home and that's burned into my mind and it was very hard for me to go through all that basically alone. And then there was also the fact my mom kind of blamed me for it. So going through all that alone took a long time for me to deal with it. And I think that's one of the reasons, like, I think, like, talk to the child, let them know you can talk because if they don't, it just gets buried deep down and affects them throughout their life. I think that the loneliness was one of the big awful things for me is like we were um we went to the hospital to kind of disconnect her from life support and she died from cancer but the like eventual cause of her death was a heart attack or something I don't even know um but she was on life support which shouldn't have happened because she had a do not resuscitate order but they resuscitated her so that was a big thing and there was like 11 of us in the room and I felt completely alone And it was something where like, I was 15, I was already struggling with mental health and my family didn't really know how to 
do that, like how to, how to help me in any way. And so when I ended up going at Pilgrim's Hospice, like I found hospice, I Googled them. I called Cheryl and said, Hey, can I come to this group? Even if my parents don't want me to come. And she said, like, as long as they can sign the form, then you can come. And like, it's a requirement that when the kids are in program that the adults in their life are in like a, a parent's group or a caregiver's group at the same time. And like my, I was driving myself to hospice and nobody came with me and they let me participate for free. And that was really cool. But I think what would have helped would have been to just like feel less alone. Like, but my family talked about her and stuff, but I just didn't feel like my grief was important. Yeah. I think the loneliness was a was a big one too and just being just having no like no support or no help like my my dad died when I was 12 uh, and they dubbed it suicide by police they got shot a bunch of times by police officers and about a year later my mom just left she moved away and left me and my brother uh, my brother was already like an adult and he lived on his own. So it was really just me as like a 13 year old kid. Like, what am I supposed to do? So not only am I trying to like grieve the loss of my parent, but now I'm grieving the abandonment of another parent. And also how am I supposed to survive? Cause I'm 13 and then I have nowhere to go. And I just had nobody. And part of the reason I came to this field is cause I was like, no child should go through that you should have somebody so that I'm getting emotional yeah I'm sending you a virtual hug whenever I was like in the thick of it I was forced to take antidepressants and I was forced to go to a psychologist and a psychiatrist and the medicine just made me feel nothing so now I feel everything so that's really hard I wish I could have like whenever I said no I don't want to go I didn't have to and when I said no I don't want to take this pill like I didn't have to and instead I was just allowed to be sad thank you for sharing that Megan I, I think something for me too like my um the death of my dad was really publicized because mm. he was shot and killed by police officers so it was in the news, it was in the papers, like everybody knew about it. There was no privacy, there was no hiding from it. You know, I became the girl at school that of, you know, her dad got shot and killed, he was a bad man. So I think what would have helped was for it to be more of a private event and not have reporters around and people whispering about you and about your family and making judgments and really not knowing. I've worked with several kids whose um, losses were public and there's such an impact on the family when that happens because of like all the judgment and stuff that gets passed and like we they don't often tell us like a lot of the details when we're volunteers um, because they don't want us to be able to go home and google it to be able to still give the kids that privacy. And I appreciate that a lot, like that the kid can share like their parents' name and stuff like that. But sometimes it, I don't think that if it's a public death, like I'm thinking back to the ones that I know of, um, is that I think that they were quite cautious about how much they shared with the volunteers. And 
it, that added a lot of like just information to me about how that would impact a family is to have like all of their business on the news based on what a reporter says. Like it's, it's a lot of the time, like they really, really hash down the story because they need to make it onto the paper in like a very small amount of space. Right. And they have a word count limit. So some of the details get lost and there's sides of the story that don't get told. And I think that would feel really like shut down is like that, that, if, if I knew information about the death that wasn't publicized, that would make me feel very dysregulated. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, it was really hard. I think too, like, because my, like they dug up all of his past and his history and they just like slammed him in, in the media and the newspaper. And it was so hard because he was like my hero. Yeah. Do you know that he's still like, that's still allowed? Like, you can still look at him that way and have yeah. the other things, you know, said Like those things can happen at the same time. And you're allowed to, to see him as a hero even throughout. Like, it sounds like he had a lot of troubling stuff happening for him. So, like, it's, it's unfortunate that the media likes to focus on those things and not the, the good times. Do you want to tell us, like, a little bit about him or, like, the good mm-hmm. things that you remember about him? So you can share like your side of the story? He was a musician. Um, So he constantly was like playing guitar and singing songs and singing songs about like everything that was going on around him. So it was really annoying, but it was, it was funny because he'd follow you around with his guitar and sing a song or whatnot. And I don't know, he was just always so comical and had a lot of fun um like he'd bike ride around on the street outside and he'd put like pants on his head so it looks like he was flying the streamers behind him like he was a (laughs) child honestly and to this day I don't I could not see him as a 70 year old man like there's no way I don't think he would have been happy (laughs) because he was like this big child at heart so yeah there's a lot of good memories there Hearing people talk about their, their like their loved ones and like the way they share like such vivid memories and so it's just, it's so beautiful and I Marina like you you took me like right there with your dad like I felt like I was just like experiencing it all so I like it. I felt it it's a beautiful story thank you I think like okay let's talk about memories for a moment here because there's a lot of times when kids don't have memories or they don't remember certain things, whether it's trauma or their age. Like if you've got a kid who's nine years old and they've been in care since they were three, like how much do they remember about their parents and about the good times at their home? And I think that like something we, we encourage kids to do is to make up memories. And so for example, we've had kids who have lost a sibling like at birth like a, the baby would have been stillborn or had some kind of um, loss where it was a baby loss. And so the older children or child are in our group. And so they don't have memories with their loved one because they died like right away. And so the memories can be like, what kinds of things would you have liked to do with your sister had she grown up? Oh, ow. What do you, th- what do you think that their um, favorite color would be? And what kind of person do you think they would be? And it's really cool to hear them like make those, those stories up and to think about 
um, like when I think about my Baba and how she would have been like on board with a lot of the things going on with my life and she would have been very proud of me. I think sometimes I can kind of daydream about what things could have been like and knowing that there's meaning in all of that. But like when we're working with kids, I think sharing those memories is so important sometimes they don't have other places to do that. Like kids aren't going to school and able to tell their friends like a cool story about their dead parent. I think that's a really, really excellent idea. I feel like you could almost sit down with a kid and kind of like write a, like a little short story or like a picture book about the memories of that person that they could keep mm-hmm. and like do it as an activity together. I think that'd be really nice. One practice that I took on after um, I had that client whose mom died um, was taking photos and I work in the community or I worked in the community with families as a CSD worker um, alongside the children's services. And um, after that happened, we realized we had zero photos of her with her mom. Mm -hmm. And we had like one photo of her mom that we could print out that was like a, a good quality photo for her to have. Um, And so I started taking photos obsessively, like with parents' permission, of course, but like taking photos on my phone, going to Walmart, printing them out. And one time we had a family where there was a little baby that um, was being apprehended. And because I had been so diligent of taking photos, the next day I was able to show up at mom's house with a photo album full of pictures of her son. And he had just been removed. And so there um, are lots of things we can do in preparation for the idea that, that, that pictures might not be available later. And I think even if we're not like anticipating a loss or anticipating um, an apprehension or whatever, um, we can still be taking lots of photos and present it to families um, with some, um, I don't know, I did one for families once when it was like a birthday and was like, oh, let's make a scrapbook, and did all these things. So, I don't know, pictures are really powerful. Something we can also do is to put photos in the files, and so I had photos on a USB that I put in a plastic bag and stapled into the file, and then that way, if that child ever does choose to access their file when they're older, they'll have that USB with the photos. Um, We can print photos and put them in an envelope, anything like that can just go in the file because they have rights to that. And I think now um, more and more adults are choosing to go through that process to access their their case files. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, yeah, important things that we can just think of that are so small and such a wouldn't take long kind of thing to make a second copy, um, put a date next to it, maybe write what was going on. Um, and those little things will, will help them later when they're older. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think pictures are so important. Like when I lost my grandma, I actually made like a video full of photos and song and everything, just like a little tribute to her. It was hard for me when I had to leave home. I had no pictures of my siblings. Mm-hmm. So I lost all those kind of memories for of them. And like even now, like I only have a few photos of them. So Mm-hmm. having just like the tribute to my grandma that always means so much to me I watch it every once in a while and just think of her and we do family finding a lot too like looking for um connections for kids and sometimes I think we forget that that connection can be do you have a photo anywhere of this 
kid's parent or do you have like you know you you talk to some long lost auntie in another province and you're looking for connections for a child and they are like not interested in the connection or whatever but you can also say to them okay it's okay if you don't want to stay connected do you have any photos that you could pass on to us is there anything in an album somewhere because these are just pieces we're trying to put together for this kid and this could be supportive for them and we, we just don't think about what connection could look like we only look at connection as um, like being physically with each other or having contact with each other but connection can be letters and cards and photos and all of those things too. Mm-hmm. I find myself I've been taking like a lot more videos of like my grandpa because like with my dad I don't know what his voice sounds like anymore. I can't remember really anything how he talked if he said any words funny like I don't remember any of that. And like my grandma, I can still hear some things and I can still kind of hear her voice. But as time goes on, I'm slowly losing that. So if my grandpa had been, again, when he sings his stupid songs or tells his stupid jokes, I record it because I want to remember his voice. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really powerful because I think we don't think about, we don't think about that stuff when our loved ones or caregivers are alive. And then when they're gone, you don't have anything for whatever reason, they're gone. That's really tough. Like, I don't, I'm like in the same boat as Mackenzie. I have a hard time remembering what my dad sounds like. And occasionally I can hear him on like a home video and I'm like, is that, is that him? And I, I kind of like have to double check. I'm not sure. I'm, I mean, I don't have a lot of pictures of him when he was older, like the way I would have remembered him. I have pictures of him when he was younger. I had one picture of him when he was older, like it was taken a couple weeks before he died. And I hung on to that picture for so long. And I don't really know what happened to it. But like a piece of it kind of like came off somehow, like tape got stuck to it or whatever. And it's like right on his face. And I just remember being so upset. Because it was and I was like, why am I so upset over this picture? But like Parker is right, you have such an attachment to objects as well, right? If it's somebody significant to you. I uh I used to have a baby blanket and I didn't like realize this until this conversation but that was a a transitional object for me because when I was like a few years ago I like cut off a piece of it and I wore it as a bracelet because I used to always sleep with my mom with my blanket but I I lost the blanket (laughs) and I lost the bracelet so I I kind of felt like I lost her again when I couldn't find it. Megan, do you want to share a memory about your mom? I don't have any because I was four when she passed and I think I made up a lot of memories, but I don't think any of them are real. I just remember my older siblings telling me stories and then I would be like, oh yeah, that happened. And I would imagine her in my head doing that thing, but I don't think I ever really was there. Do you want to share a story that you made up? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have this story I made up, I think, where she's like opening a box of cereal and all of these bugs come crawling out and she's like screaming frantically and like throws the box and I'm like, ah, there's bugs. And I don't know if I was there. I don't know if it happened, but yeah. That's rad. It's so like empowering and amazing to see how people's facial expression changes when they're sharing those love, like those memories that they have. 
those happy and, and loving memories. You can just see the complete change in their face and even like how they kind of present and talk and stuff. That's beautiful. That's what I was saying before. I was like, when like, it's just like a, it's a very like warming experience, especially if like for em- like empathic people that just like feel it with the other person, you know, you're just like, you're sitting in there with them and you just have like no option but to like feel like their emotion. And it's just, it's just, it's such a beautiful experience. That's why I think grief and loss is so like, interesting is because we feel so sad and which is like so valid but yet there's like this like there's this little bit of joy when we talk about like the happy stuff and it you know it it's beautiful something that was really um cool last weekend i did um another round of sand play training it's in modules so i've been working on it for like two freaking years has it been that long oh my goodness um And uh, in the sand, I was experiencing a lot of grief. You kind of do the the tray and it's completely non-directed. It's not like make a picture of your family. It's just you do whatever feels right in your heart to do. And then um, at the end, the client who did the tray leaves so that the last picture that they see that their psyche sees is the completed image. So they don't take it apart or anything like that. The therapist, that's their job to clean up. And so at the end of my tray, when I was crying, because I, w- I knew that I was experiencing a lot of grief, I felt like this big, big barrier to leaving. And I didn't want to leave the room. And I had said at the end when we were debriefing that if somebody would have told me I had to leave the room, I feel like my inner little like would have protested that and been like, like telling me that I had to go home from the park. Like it, it felt like that kind of a thing. And after when I was experiencing all of that, the partner that I had, who I um, know from CYC stuff, um, and I feel super safe with her, um, we sat in almost complete silence for 30 minutes with me just crying. And she held that space for me. And if she would have said anything, I think it would have really impacted my process. And it shows what a skilled worker she is, that she was able to sit with all of that because it was quite, um, it was very emotional and it was a lot for, for me to be sitting across from her and be having that experience. And, um, we were in zoom and in a breakout room. So it was like just us alone in a room in a breakout room so that the facilitators could pop in on us. And one of the facilitators popped in as I was having this big emotional experience and, um, looked at me and said, the fact that this is impacting you so greatly is the reason why you're going to be a good sand play therapist and it was really cool that someone saw like all my grief and pain and went that's a good therapist instead of like "Eh, are they ready I don't know and it just really really emphasized to me how important it is to like silently hold that space sometimes and to be okay with being super uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and that we don't have to run to give hugs we don't have to run to to find distractions. Sometimes we just need to sit in the room and not say anything. And that can be super support. I have like so many memories of just like, like sitting against a wall. Like, I don't know if any of y'all have done the wall sit in a hallway with a child where like someone's having a meltdown. So you just pick a spot in the room and you, and you slide down the wall and you sit there and wait for them to come to you. And I think that like, 
I don't know. <laughs> That's such a CYC thing to do a wall sit every once in a while where you're just like sitting on the floor against a wall waiting for a child. Yeah, it's just those things we need to emphasize sometimes is just just being there and just being a presence and not being afraid of the emotions. Yeah, I think that really resonates with me because the wall sit was something I used to do all the time and people would walk by and be like, what are you doing? Like, oh, we're just, we're sitting here. We're hanging out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I think just being aware and comfortable with the fact that it's gonna be uncomfortable is really important. And I always used to say, I don't know where I picked this up. I heard it somewhere and it stuck with me since, but like I will shoulder it so that they can have this moment. Mm-hmm. And I just like sit there and let it be on my shoulders so that they have the time and the space to process it. But it's just something that has always stuck like that has always stuck with me. And it's something that I always used to teach uh, new employees and stuff and the importance of just giving them space and just shutting your mouth no matter how uncomfortable you are and just be there. I'm just thinking about so much like when there's just so many places that grief has entered my life and that if I don't know recently I came up with this thought that my life wouldn't be like this at all if my Baba was still here that if we wouldn't have gone through that there I wouldn't be like practicing child and youth care like there's a good chance that that would not be happening and it shaped my practice it's informed um, so much information that I know and has I know that it's helped a lot of other people because like when like for example there was a conference that we went to in Vancouver Anna likely remembers mm-hmm. um, and I did a seminar um, with Catherine about grief and loss and it was like one of my first times like presenting to other um, professionals who weren't like students at the school and there were so many people who reached out to me after that and it made me feel very proud one and two it's just it highlighted to me that there was some kind of purpose in her dying and that that didn't have to be something in my life that had no no meaning or no purpose and I'd never really thought about that before and it was hard for me to think about because I just wished that she hadn't died and of course not happy that she did but um her death left me with a lot of gifts. I would say that one of the big gifts that came from her death was um, meeting the manager um, of the grief services at hospice. I think that meeting her was one of the, the biggest things that could have happened in my life. I was being connected with her and she's who like supervises me still now and she was who was leading the groups when I was little so it's a long-term connection that I've had and now like to be able to sit in a meeting with her like a board meeting for Briar Patch and just be connected in that other way too now it has just been so big so that gift of meeting her was was huge and I think that I gained a lot of understanding and I have been able to relate to people in the field, like my clients in ways that um, I didn't think I could. And, you know, there's times when people are talking to us on the phone because they work at 211. And so they'll call us and 
um, are talking about some kind of life thing that's going on and, and some big crisis. And then they're like, and then my dad died two days ago. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You didn't start with that. Like that's what's going on here. Right. And so I'm able to really notice when those things come up and be able to say, Hey, like, would you like me to connect you with grief supports or, Hey, this is a really recent loss. Do you want me to put you on our follow-up program? And then in two weeks, someone can call you and give you grief supports. And it, just becomes like, I don't know, the understanding has been just such a gift of being able to really relate and understand when it comes to grief. And grief is so big. It's so big that like people who haven't lost and specifically haven't lost a parent figure or a caregiver can't understand it. And that's okay that they don't understand it. Like I'm glad that their parent hasn't died, but they just really can't. It's, it's just so big. And I'm in a way, very glad that I'm one of those people who understands it now. So I grew up in a very toxic household. I lost myself. I had to take care of my siblings. Then my mom's new husband started sexually abusing me. So I lost who I was. Then when I turned 14, or when I was almost 15, I was kicked out of my house. My mom didn't want to deal with it because she found out about the abuse and just didn't want to deal with it. So I lost a maternal figure and I lost all my siblings. Uh, so I had to go live with my grandparents. And um, three years later, my grandma passed away from cancer. So I lost that all over again. And the thing that's an upside for me is I'm in this program to help those that have lost their own childhood because I understand that loss and how it can take such a big part of yourself away from you. And you don't even know who you are anymore or what you want to do with your life. And then with my grandma pass in a way, that was a big thing because I was very suicidal when I had to leave home. And she's the one that helped me realize I had a life and that I was worthy of having a life so actually I got a tattoo um, on my wrist it's in her right and it says August 16 so in 2014 she took me away from my parent my mom from the abusive household and then in 2017 she passed away exactly on that day that she took me away so I always see that as like my second chance that through all this pain and loss that I have a chance to make a difference in someone's life. So that's a gift she gave me through all that heartache that I experienced. I'm glad you're still here. Thank you for sharing, Mackenzie. I think that's something that we don't talk about a lot with, with kids is suicide. Like we want to avoid it because I think we have this misconception sometimes that talking about it makes it happen, um, which a lot of us know isn't true with our training but that it's so normal to feel suicidal after somebody dies at any point. Like to, we have kids who, who want to die, little kids, and they want to die because they want to be with their loved one. And it's not, it's sometimes like they don't understand what suicide really is or what it means or that um, it's long-term. And so um, it's of course something to take seriously, but also that it's just so normal to want to die and that, if we talk about that more with them, like we, we've had suicide talks with the kids at Briar Patch before, because we've had kids in the group who have lost somebody to suicide. And it, 
is always a really productive conversation and always a really supportive conversation. And I've never felt like we've left kids feeling worse about it. Um, and that we need to continue to have those conversations with kids and checking in with them when they have a big loss and that you're not going to get in trouble if you're feeling this way. And I care about you and want to know when you're feeling that way. Cause there's even like the bargaining, like take me, don't take them. Like when my grandma had cancer, she was given six months and my grandma, I see her as this perfect person. So I was saying, God, take me. Like, I don't care about my life, but she is such an important person to so many people. And it took me a while to be like, no, she's, I have this chance to do something big. Yes, it's going to hurt when she's gone, but right now she's in pain. So in a sense, why, why make this bargain when she's just going to be in pain? So I had to accept that no, she's going to be gone, but to treasure the moments I have left with her. The positive things, I guess, that came out of, or the gifts that came out of my experience, I always, it's funny because, like, as much as, you know, grief and loss and it's sad and beautiful at the same time, but, and I had some pretty, like, horrific experiences and tragic experiences, but I always tell people who I've shared my story with like I wouldn't change it and even though they say like I'm sorry that happened to you or whatnot I like don't be I wouldn't I wouldn't change it because it has made me and shaped me who I am and I wouldn't be the person I am today if those if I hadn't experienced those things and like my parents were uh, drug addicted they were incarcerated. They were very absent parents. They weren't stellar, honestly. <laughs> and I, I honestly don't know what my life would look like today if, if my dad had lived and my mom had stayed. I don't think they would have ever had cleaned up their acts. I probably would have been in care permanently at some point, or they both would have died from drug use or whatever it might be. So... I think a gift for me was that I ended up okay because uh, I don't know that I would have um, and I think that's really powerful and when my dad died and then my mom left my aunt actually took me in and she became my mother and I always say that she's my saving grace because not only did I like escape kind of that bad situation from my parents and uh, I could have easily followed in their footsteps and been really destructive because uh, now I don't have any parents, but she kind of swooped in and picked me up and cradled me in her arms. And I always call her like my saving grace. I'm not sure where I would have been without her. And I think she's a huge gift from what happens and my ability to understand and relate to people going through pain, I think is a major one too. I know in all of my experiences at work, all of my supervisors and managers always say that I deal with crisis very well. And I think it's because of my past, like I'm comfortable being uncomfortable and sitting there in discomfort of crisis situations. But yeah, those are my gifts, I think. Um, a gift for me that I would take from my loss um, would be just like the think kind of what everyone has said about shaping them who they like who they are and um 
what have we like become and like the helpers and cares that we are I think it just really um for me it helps to relate to people a little bit more than other people that haven't experienced a loss before I um, was in a really awful relationship when I was younger and I it was very toxic but that was like a like a loss of like myself and I feel like I'm like still trying to regain myself back from that and yes it's not a death like a death oh my god a death of a loved one but it's but it's like a it's a loss myself and like who I like when you're 16 you don't know who you are but then having that kind of continue on throughout the rest of your life is really hard and confusing the ability of just to like 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 the authenticity of other people and try to like understand that and yeah I don't really lots of gifts from it but can't really place a single one to my brain right now I'm already like crying and I just want to stop crying so I can get a freaking sentence out (laughs) that's why I like writing so much because I can cry while I write and I can explain myself so much better through my words I don't think I would even be like a quarter of the person I am today if my mom didn't die um I think it taught me like at a very young age to like hold on to what I have while I have it because it's not always going to be there and it taught me how to bring people together because when she died my whole family fell apart and I just wanted all of us to be together and to this day like none of my siblings want to talk to each other and everybody's always fighting and I I'm like the person who has a relationship with everyone so I'm happy that I can be that person for my family whenever they don't have anyone else I can you know listen and if she didn't die um, I wouldn't have been put into foster care I I wouldn't understand how a kid feels when they really just want to go home um, I wouldn't have gone to university because I wouldn't have had access to advancing futures I wouldn't be in this program so I do really think it, everything happened in my life for a reason and as much as I fucking miss her <laughs> with every part of my body, I, it really made me who I am. <laughs> again, thank you for sharing because I know it comes from a very deep part of you. I knew I shouldn't have worn makeup today. <laughs> no judgment well. here. <laughs> I think that as we are like talking about the gifts that we received um, when we had losses is that we can keep in mind that we can be part of the gifts that our kids receive when they have losses. And that I can only hope that one day some of the kids who I've worked with will be sitting in their therapist's office when they're 30 and they'll be saying, there was this one worker who really made a difference in my life and I if I can go my whole career and have like one kid be impacted by a part of my story or can feel like their interaction with me was a gift I think that really like I'm not I'm not looking to be the most important person in someone's life but I think that um that there were people who came came along who were gifts to me And um, I can only hope that I can be that person for like one kid 
in my in my whole career if I can do that for one kid then it will be a successful career I just want to say like I'm so thankful that we're able to have this conversation and talk about these uncomfy things together and cry together because I I never really get the chance to talk about her and it's been so nice and it's been so nice to get to know everybody in such a deep and meaningful way and I'm so honored that you guys or everyone feels comfortable enough to talk about this so thank you well said Megan very well said I just think this like what kind of what Megan said but it just really enforces like the idea of like just sitting sitting there and being there for somebody like through like the icky and through the not so icky and through like the okay times I think it just really reiterates like the idea of having people and being surrounded by people I have a coffee mug that says people need other people word (laughs) we do and like I don't know it's um it can make a huge difference in someone's life if someone just comes along and just holds some space for them I just thought of like another like little gift that I have because of everything I think it's really helped my like sense of humor and like ability to laugh at things that hurt because when I was a kid I used to go to school and be like I'm part of the dead parent club and I was I thought it was so funny and people they they were so uncomfortable they were like what and so I stopped saying it like in front of like a lot of people but I know who I can say it in front of <laughs> like with me and my sister are watching a movie and somebody's parent dies we'll be like she's in the club <laughs> it's it's like wildly inappropriate but it makes me feel better if it, you are in a club it's it, <laughs> like that's my friend has the dead parent society right like it's like I said you don't get it unless you have experienced it and like it, it is a club it's not a fun club it's a club nonetheless <laughs> yeah I, I I really appreciate that because I think I have humor like my dark sense of humor comes from what I've experienced too and I definitely make some pretty inappropriate like wildly inappropriate jokes or comments sometimes <laughs> and only people who have like experienced some of the similar things are like oh, okay <laughs> I just remember this one time uh, a bunch of my co-workers and I we went out for lunch breakfast we went out for breakfast and it was a Sunday and we got there and this place was packed and we're sitting there like why is it so busy here and then we discovered that it, it was Father's Day we all have dead fathers so we're sitting there like dead fathers club high five <laughs> and just made it a made it a joke and moved on but yeah, I don't know. It makes me feel better too. When I was experiencing my grief and loss, like in the thick of it, when it first sort of happened, I didn't have a person to be uncomfortable with or to make uncomfortable with my crying or sadness. And that's something that I always wanted. Um, I think it would have been really helpful for me. And Part of the reason I got into this field is so that children didn't have to go through that without having somebody. And to me, it's like necessary. If, if somebody is going to experience grief and loss or, or anything, I think it's necessary that you are going to have to be comfortable with uncomfortability and what's going to happen. And I think a lot of my past experiences, just because um, my parents were drug addicted and criminals, 
they had very colorful activities happening and there were always really uncomfortable things happening. <laughs> so I think from a very young age, I became pretty used to uncomfortable situations and then piled on top of that, something that I would have really appreciated helped me move forward in my practice being, un- being okay with being uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't know. I just think, I think it's necessary. And I think my experience has led me here. I think it's because I got to practice it so often mm. and some of my dark humor, I like to make other people feel uncomfortable so they can kind of experience it, you know, and get more comfortable with it. I feel like I'm going to be more connected to all of you. <laughs> yeah. I think that's inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's quite wonderful. Yeah. The following narrative was written by Megan, one of the contributors in this podcast. When she was in high school, she wrote about the loss of her mother with poignancy and tenderness. Mom, I lost her. My best friend. My everything. Gone. My world ended at age four when my mother passed away. Too young to understand why, but the pain was still real. Nothing made sense to me anymore. Even when it became more clear to me, it still didn't feel right. It would never feel right. Losing her wasn't fair. It wasn't fair to me or anyone else. She was the most honest, kind-hearted, selfless person I've ever met. So why did this happen to her? I will never understand. As a child, your parents are always there. It's unthinkable that they would ever leave you. They would never abandon their precious child but sometimes it isn't their choice. I still have the best memories of her. I used to sleep in her arms every night, and whenever I had a nightmare, she always made me feel okay. She would rock me in her arms until I fell asleep. Then one day, she wasn't there anymore. Dad was too sad, too confused, too angry to comfort me. When she left, so did a part of me, my favorite part. Whenever I saw other kids with their mothers, I felt sad, angry, jealous. I was envious of them. It wasn't fair. They didn't even respect their mothers, but they still stuck around. I felt so broken. When I lost her, I never knew I could feel something so strong. I never knew I could feel that much pain. It was a sadness. So strong, I could feel it in my heart like a needle stabbing me in the chest. All I could remember is being sad. I was in and out of therapists' offices, psychiatrists, psychologists, you name it. All I ever wanted was a normal life, a normal family. I just wanted to be normal. I felt empty. It was like grief ripped my heart out of my chest. I no longer felt purpose. Why was I here? What did I do to deserve to lose the one person in my life who meant the most? Grief imprisoned me like I was a prisoner of her death. It would never escape me. It hung over me like a shadow, like a cave. I was trapped. Maybe I should have died, not her, because I was starting to feel dead inside. Losing her tore my family apart. We weren't ourselves anymore. I hated her for the longest time because she left me. This hate filled my body like a fire. It wouldn't stop burning until I understood. I kind of lost myself somewhere along the way. My innocence was long gone, but maybe it was for the better. Eventually, I understood. She didn't want to leave us, but she didn't have a choice. It wasn't her fault. 
This is when I saw the light, like a shooting star in the black of the midnight sky. My dad used to always tell us that she was shining up there over us. She was the most beautiful, brightest star. It was a rugged ascent, but it did get better. I would never fully recover, but I'd understand one day. What tore me up the most was that she didn't even say goodbye. I know now that she would have if she knew what was going to happen, but there was no way she could have known. I think loss helped me grow as a person. I appreciate things more. I feel purpose again. She would have wanted me to be happy, and I know she's up there looking out for me. Megan